Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Take your Bibles and open them to Jonah chapter 3. We find ourselves in part 2 of a message titled, The Necessity of Faith and Repentance. I'd like to read our passage to remind us and as well as to take us on in our study this morning. Starting in verse 1 of Jonah 3, the Word of God reads this, Now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great, a great city, a a three days walk, excuse me. Then Jonah began to go through the city's one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king, And his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Let us pray. Father, again, we come to you knowing that you have illumined our hearts and minds to the truth. We come with an understanding that there's a salvation to be offered, a salvation to be received, believed. A salvation that calls for repentance. A salvation that causes change. Lord, we look in our own souls this morning. We we look at our lives and, and we put the scriptures as a mirror to our souls. Desiring to examine where we are with you trusting that you confirm the salvation in many and yet call those who are outside of this great salvation to redeeming faith. 
be with your shepherd as he desires to speak clearly about such a great truth when it comes to faith and repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were with us last week, we laid out a long introduction. My wife says I have the longest introductions in life. Part of that is is to unfold and set up the text for us as we look at it this morning. All of what was said last week it points to the reality of the consistency of faith and repentance that is throughout the Scriptures. Consistency of faith, repentance when it comes to salvation and redemption. This is throughout the whole Bible. Often we think that this is maybe a New Testament idea. This is truth that finds itself even in the, this minor prophet and, of course, even scattered throughout the Old Testament. And the simple point last week was to awaken our hearts to this truth, that when it comes to our salvation, you must have both faith and repentance. It's not one or the other, it's both. For that matter, you can't have salvation if you leave one of those elements out. Faith and repentance run hand in hand in God's great salvation. And when it comes to faith, Our faith looks only at Jesus as the author and perfecter of our salvation. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to our baptism. We don't look to our church membership. We don't look at how much we gave to the church. We don't look at our deeds. We only look to Jesus. Faith says this. Faith says Jesus is God. Not that he became a God, but that he is God the second person in the triune Godhead. And he displayed his deity. As we look to the Gospels, you know that he displays his mighty supernatural deity when he performed all these miracles, so much so that the apostle John, in John 21, 25, said this about Jesus. He says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, if they were written in detail. I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. I mean, you think about what God inspired John to write and and pick out the miracles that he did, and yet what he's trying to tell us is that he performed many more of those than what has been revealed. Faith is recognizing very simply that Jesus Christ is God incarnate who came to this world to die, resurrect, and ascend back to heaven. That's your Christology. That's the reality of who God is in Christ Jesus. Faith is believing all that Jesus came and what he did. It's not doubting. It's not suggesting. It's it's, it's not a maybe. What has been proclaimed and given to us, he has done. There is no debate. There is no doubt. There is no stripping away anything from what Christ Jesus did and said. And faith is believing in Jesus Christ as your only atonement for your sins. Knowing that God will not accept anything else except for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God will not accept anything else for your salvation except for the blood that was spilt on Calvary. 
True saving faith is the sinner recognizing his own hopeless condition and trusting Christ as his righteousness. Understanding Jesus as being a sacrificial substitute. And by the way, it's the only possible means to escape the wrath of God. Beloved, that's biblical faith. And the reason I point that out is because there seems to be, at least in today's culture, an idea that you can have a little bit of Jesus and be saved. Listen, we need all of Jesus. We need everything that he has done. I think what's happening today is that we make Jesus more a friend than a savior. We make Jesus more than our buddy, our homeboy, instead of being Lord. Listen, he is Lord God Almighty, and he radiates with holiness. That's biblical faith. Then on the other side of the coin, we looked at repentance. Whereas faith embraces Jesus as the only hope for our salvation, repentance turns from yourself and your sins and runs to the holiness of God. Repentance turns to Christ. It's exactly what conversion means. You are saved when you are, have faith and repentance. And we noted this truth, that just as faith is an inward understanding that, that filtrates our heart, so is repentance. We understand that we stand guilty unless we turn and receive His grace and forgiveness. Repentance, of course, in the scriptures, metanoia, often in the Greek, has the idea of changing direction. We see it played out here in Jonah as a whole city turns from its evil and wicked ways. Repentance has the idea of doing something, of turning from your sins. Just saying that you're sorry is not repentance. Repentance says, I have sinned against a holy God. And you embrace the, that which is truth and it condemns you. And you know that that condemnation is what puts you in the crosshairs of the wrath of God. And you embrace that you cry out for salvation. You receive His forgiveness. I look at it this way. Genuine repentance pleads with the Lord. Have you ever done that? To forgive you. And deliver you from the burden of sin, and the fear of judgment and hell. That's what we saw last week. All that sets the stage as we dive into our text. And I want us to see this in action. And, and we see it very colorfully and clearly. As we see not only a call, but a fruit of the Ninevites who do exactly this. They have faith and they repent. And so let us turn our attention to the text. And first we see in verses 4 and 5, the call to receive faith and repentance. I want to back up just a little bit. Look at verse 4 where it says, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days Nineveh will be overthrown. The response to that cry from the, from the prophet of God, it says in verse 5 that then the people in Nineveh believed in God. 
there was a message of, of judgment, and the people heard and responded. I mean, gone is the day, it seems like, that hellfire and brimstone is not the norm from the pulpit. It seems to, to be, and, and as I stick my nose into other churches and what they're preaching and what they're saying, it seems like it's all about fun and games. Jonah brings hellfire and brimstone to the ears and the hearts of the Ninevites. He simply said what's captured for us in the Hebrew here, five words that says, yet for 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The message proclaimed to the Ninevites is that if you don't repent, you will die. Not about you, but that truth from the man of God speaking the word of God convicts our souls to do what is called of us to do according to the scriptures. Unless you turn from your sins and have faith in Christ, you will surely die. Or as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 27, look to the screen, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. There's not a single person in this world who has ever been created that will not escape the judgment of God. I don't know about you, but everything that we know and study about Jonah, I think that he's pretty excited to deliver this. Remember, he's the, he's the prophet that runs. He's reluctant to go. God gives him a second chance, and he goes back there. And, and, and I think that, that he loves the fact that he looks at the Assyrians, and he says, you know what? You are going to be judged, and you will die. This is Jonah's delight looking at these Gentile, these pagans, and telling and proclaiming them that they are going to be destroyed. Now, what's interesting to me, and when you look at this word overthrown in verse 4, it is the same word in the account of God's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we can get a picture here exactly of what Jonah is saying to them. It's the idea of fire and brimstone, the idea of destruction. It points to the reality of God's fierce anger towards sin. Just to recount some of those verses, you think, look to the screen, Genesis 19, 14. It reads, Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy. There's the word. The Lord will overthrow the city. But he appeared to his son-in-laws to be jesting. That's the end of that verse. Then again, 10 verses later in Genesis 19, 24, and 25, it reads, The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew, same word here, overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. You know, even though the, the Assyrians 
had their own gods, did their own thing, had their own history. They have heard about this living God. They have no doubt heard stories of, of the mighty hand of God in, in destroying sin and calling out His people to live a way that honors Him. What's remarkable about this, we have a short narrative <clears throat> that we have to say that the Spirit of God is already working for a whole city to be turning from their sins. That's exactly what happens here. Verse 5 says, Then the people in Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The Ninevites. They believed the prophet's God. They believed the word that came from him. And then in turn, that faith had action. They repented. They turned from their sins. And the Ninevites heard and repented and believed that destruction was upon them. They believed God's word is true. They believed that destruction was going to happen if they didn't repent and believe. Now, if you haven't already noticed in verse 5, the word repentance is not there, but the action is. I think that's so important. Because too often we live in the day and age that we have to hear the word and then, then we think that that's okay, but it's just really the opposite. Actions show that a heart of repentance going forth. You and I both know that somebody can say the word repentance and have an action that doesn't show that they are truly repentant. I see that in my kids' life. I see that in my life sometimes. Oh, please forgive me, but... But deep down, it's, there's still a rooted aspect of sin within our own soul. And, and we like to play with our sin and we like it around instead of cutting off its head and bearing it and turning towards holiness and righteousness. The Ninevites in verse 5, they did respond with repentance. It wasn't just their lips. They, their actions showed that they were repentant. Notice also in verse 5 that the repentance was a response to faith in God. They heard the message and they changed. They heard that they were going to be destroyed and they changed. This is the power of the hand of God moving and this is what's so delightful. And I think to some degree we see this and we say, oh yeah, God does that. Listen, this is astounding. God moved in the hearts of a city and caused them to believe. He brought them to the point of belief. He brought them to the point of repentance. And that should cause us to rejoice. That every time that we hear when somebody repents and believes, that we rejoice in the fact that salvation and the power of that salvation has swept the person's heart. Oh, to be so callous to think that, oh, okay, you're saved and go about life. This is radical transformation. This is heart surgery. This is something where God changes you. And in turn, in the midst of that faith and that repentance, there are actions to respond in such a change. Repentance means doing something. And the people in Nineveh did some things. I mean, you think about what they did there. Verse 5 says, they fasted. How many of us fast today? Just having that conversation with my wife. What does this mean to fast? However, in the context of what we often see in the Scriptures, and in particular here in Jonah chapter 3, 
It's in the context of sin and judgment. Fasting is an outward way of expressing one's inward faith, much like baptism. We are preparing our heart to, to look to the truth and the holiness of God and withstanding ourselves by the pleasures of this life. Fasting is an outward expression of the inward desire and calling for, for forgiveness. And fasting provides time away from the regular responsibilities in order to pray and to consider the message at hand. And you think about this, a whole city stops. Production is stopped. And there's a call to fast and to repent. And what's remarkable, when you think about this, they're all one accord, and they're praying for mercy. They're wanting God to relent of His judgment upon their lives. And so the Ninevites demonstrated repentance by fasting. Their desire was for God to see their hearts and, and, to, and to say that there's something different about us, that we just don't ignore your servant, God. We are going to obey. And they go on by talking about putting on sackcloth, which is pretty interesting to me. Literally, that's goat hair. How many of you guys own goats? One way back there. Is, is, this, is the fur, Brock, I'm going I'm to talk to you here, okay? Me and you. Is the fur of the goat, is it soft like cotton and cheap wool? It's not, isn't it? What is it? Wiry? That's the point. If you have a goat and you look at its skin, you understand that this is an irritant to your soul. Not a single one of us that I'm aware of has a sweater made out of goat hair. But this is the action of putting on this sackcloth. Uh, trying to deprive oneself by mourning, by, by, by thinking of their previous actions and crying out for forgiveness. Now we find this much like what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 9 with Moses. Listen to what Moses said when learning about Israel's sin and God's coming judgment. He says in Deuteronomy 9, 18 and 19, he says, I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because all your sin was which you have committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So he deprived himself for I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me. That time also. I mean, he just cries out for, for the people and their sin by showing an act of contriteness. This is important. And I think it's important that we, we, we point something else out before we move on to our second point because I want you to really get this. I had somebody say to me last week, how is not faith and repentance a work? It's a good question. Some might say that salvation or what we have going on here is that the Ninevites were saved or justified by their faith and work of repentance. And beloved, that is so far from the truth. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
as a matter of fact, we have in history a huge thing happening at the point of Reformation where Martin Luther opposed the Pope and the Catholic Church, and it came down to this question, how is a man justified? The Roman Church, and for that matter, any other religion, any other cult, any other belief, says you're only justified by God if you believe and have works. Got a little chart there, Clover, if you want to put that up. They believe that faith plus works equal justification. The faith and the work is, is man's doing. And this is what they offer to God. This is something that they, they work to heaven. And everything outside of biblical Christianity is trying to do that. You think of your culture. You think of the other religions. We're trying to be something good so that we can be justified in his eyes. I hear that often at the hospital. I just hope I did enough good things that God will show mercy to me. The Bible says, for that matter, God says, faith equals or produces works and justification. There's a, a distinction there. And what it says in the second half and what the Scripture says is that we can't have any, more, uh, any merit. I can't earn God's favor. He's got to do something for me. He's got to save me. He's got to redeem me. And that's exactly what he has done with Jesus Christ. He gives you and demonstrates a love that is far beyond our comprehension by sending Christ to die on the cross and spill his blood to bring a new covenant so that we may be justified. The justification of Christ and what he has done on the cross and faith in Jesus, faith in his blood, it is that that saves you. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that, that Christ goes to the cross willingly and he imputes righteousness to those who are his, to those who have faith, to those who have repented. Let me give you some biblical truth if you're still trying to hang on to what I'm saying here. Look to the screen. I want to give you a pretty large passage. Ephesians chapter 2, probably the hallmark of our understanding of this. The Apostle Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. The status of, of, of our hearts outside of Christ is totally dead, depraved. Dead, walking zombies, desiring just to sin. However, verse 4 tells us something miraculous. And it says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
he reiterates and continues to say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Grace, what is that? Undeserved favor. As a sinner outside of faith, we, we are undeserving. It's undeserved favor to the, to the unmerited sinner. It's something that God has to do. It's something that God has to give. And of course, faith, and the reality of what Christ has done, the fact that He demonstrates the words on the back of our wall here, that God demonstrates His love towards us, that why we were still yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. The book of Romans beats this drum with the clarity and understanding of what God has done. For example, Romans 4, verses 1 through 9. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He goes on to say, Now to the one who works his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. I mean, it's just remarkable. What he's saying there is that because God justifies us, that he, 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 he makes the way of salvation, that when somebody receives his grace and his mercy and receives that, that truth will produce that you belong to the king. Actions. That belong to the king. I think of Romans 1, 16 and 17, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. The gospel is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's what's so remarkable, is the fact that God would open our hearts to, to receive this truth. It goes on to say, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I think of Galatians 2.16, when we went through and studied that book, it says there, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. We learn very clearly in the book of Galatians that the law condemns us rightly so because we cannot keep it. 
That's all the, this transaction that Jesus does. He says, I will go to the cross, I will atone for your sins, and in its place, you trust me, and I will impute righteousness, my righteousness, to you. That's what Christ says. I mean, this is such a central doctrine to our understanding of what's going on. Listen, when you love people, when you walk, when you, you grow in Christ, when you are sanctified, that is a product of Christ's righteousness in your life. That's a product of saving faith that, that, that points to the reality that you are saved. And that's so important to understand this. This is exactly going back to Jonah chapter 3, that this is what happened in Nineveh. It was a saving type of repentance, a saving type of faith. And of course, we can go throughout the scriptures, we can see that time and time again. Faith and repentance. What did Jesus call it in John chapter 3? Being born again. That's what the gospel does to the sinner who has faith and turns from his sins and receives grace. Now very quickly, I just looked at the clock, we're about done. That's probably a hindrance, maybe a blessing to you because I would continue to go. <laughs> but I want to look at this. Starting from verse 6 and through 9, you have some inworkings. Verse 5 is a statement. It's a summary statement of all that happened, God moving in the life of these Ninevites. And the fruit of faith and repentance follows. Look at verse 6. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, and this is so remarkable, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Listen, what does that symbolize? What does the king usually do when he rules? He doesn't stand, he sits, and he governs the people. And what's going on here is that an earthly king recognizes that there's one who is more sovereign than him. And he gets up and he takes off his robes, which is also remarkable because robes identified wealth, prosperity, all the goodness of life. Right? It's like having the best quality of clothes. He sets it aside and he puts on goat's hair? A sign of contrition. And he sat on the ashes. And it just doesn't stop there. By the way, the text doesn't indicate that Jonah prophesied to the king. All he's hearing and seeing is the outcome of the people and what they're doing. Verse 5 tells us, then the people believed in God. Verse 6 tells us, when the word reached the king, he in turn repents and believes. He also does this. He issued a proclamation, and it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, any ruling authority that he still has, he's calling his people, and his people, no doubt, still recognized him as their leader. And he says this, Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock haste a thing, do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may, may turn from his wicked way 
and from the violence which is in his hands. I mean, this is a decree calling out the seriousness of all this. Not only is the king demonstrating with visual actions, he, he's calling the people to do such a thing, and he even includes the animals, which is kind of remarkable. And we know that animals can't be saved. There's not a redeeming soul in an animal. However, we do look at the text, and we look at the scriptures. We know in Genesis chapter 6 that, that, that what God, when the flood came, that he was gracious and merciful to a handful of animals. Actually, quite a few. Mercy is, is even being bestowed upon not only the people who are redeemable, but even to the animals who are not. And we can see that with examples throughout. And then he says this. Who knows? Who knows God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And that's a cry for help. That's a cry for hope. That's a cry that, that God, may you do something for me. God, may you turn. May you forgive our anger, or forgive our evilness, and from your anger. That's what he's desiring. That's what he wants the outcome to be. He wants God to look down. Instead of seeing Nineveh's evil and their, their wickedness, he wants to see that they are responding to the reality that he is the living God. By the way, we already saw this in, in chapter 2, chapter 1, where the sailors are repenting as well. Remember, this is so remarkable because this is salvation. And the reason why Jonah rejects to the first time going to Nineveh, and by the way, when we get to chapter 4, he rejects still. He's still a little upset. But it was the fact that the Ninevites are pagans. They're Gentiles. And this is, this is what's happening. Now what's interesting, what we'll see in a couple weeks is verse 10. Notice I haven't read verse 10 in the last couple weeks. There's something going on here. Right? Verse 10 says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their, there's repentance, turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity, calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. There's a lot of questions about that verse. Guess what? Lord willing, we'll look at it. Okay? Did God, did the actions of the people change the mind of God? Those are great questions. We'll put that on the shelf. You can start prepping your heart for that because it's, it's important to understand. And I think that you're going to find some neat things about the reality of what God is doing here. That's a, that's a leader. That's what good preachers do, right? Jeremiah, you're, we're going to get you hooked in for next week, right? Part one, part two, part five, right? The king joins the people. Not only is he takes his status and puts it, but I mean he sees himself as one of the common folk. That's what's remarkable. He identifies himself as a, as a sinner. He identifies that every man should see themselves that way. I mean, this is just remarkable to think about. Like I said, it shouldn't be just some kind of ho-hum passage that we just studied. It should elicit 
excitement and joy in your soul knowing what God is doing. So let me close with this and say, when God is doing the work, when God is saving and redeeming hearts, the point of the passage is that faith and repentance will follow. That is true salvation. There is spiritual transformation. We are born again to a new life in Christ, and there's no going back. That's the beautiful thing about Christ. What does he say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is where true salvation lands. It lands on a, on a heart of your soul where you get off the, the, the ruling aspect of your life and you put Christ there. That's his right position. To be able to, to lead your life in such a way and transform it in such a way to redeem and, and give you the mind of Christ. That's why I said earlier, Christ is sufficient. Jesus is all that. I mean, this is just humbling to think through. If you're saved here this morning, you understand the significance of what this passage brings to your soul. You can identify with the same steps of saying when somebody presented Christ to you, you in turn believe that He is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in turn, you repented of your sins. And the question you have to ask your soul, is that you? Is that you? Have you done that? Have you received grace and mercy? I'm not saying that you've been around church. I'm not saying that you believe in God. Have you received grace and mercy that only comes from Jesus Christ? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where judgment is going to happen you think about Judgment Day, it's going to happen, and God's going to look at you, and He's going to say, what do you do with my son? I gave him to you as a demonstration of my love. Have you received His grace, and have you received His mercy? Of course, Jesus is not surprised. God's not surprised who is His. So much so, the book of Revelation tells us that all the redeemed names are written in the Lamb book of life. Beloved, Jesus Christ, there is salvation in no one else in which you may and must be saved. And is that you? The good news is this. If that's not you, you've heard what salvation is and what God requires. He requires you to believe in His Son. He requires that you understand that He came and died and atoned for your sins. And he also requires that you repent. Your life is changed. That you turn from your evil ways and you turn to the holiness and the righteousness of God. Is that you? And if it's not, that can be you. Through the grace and mercy of Jesus. I think the simple point is this. Even if you're saved or not saved, the issue to answer to your soul is Jesus. If you know Him, keep your eyes on Him. Don't lose sight of all that Christ is doing. Follow Him. 
be encouraged in your walk with Him. Grow in Christ in Him. And if that's not you, the simple call is for you to receive Him. What does this world have that's greater than the grace and mercy of Christ? You tell me. It's not a baseball team. It's not a football team. It's not a hockey team. It's not the arts or having a great voice. It's what you do with Jesus. Which believing in Jesus will cause you to repent. And cry out for mercy and receive His grace and forgiveness. Listen, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he doesn't just say, hey, there's a God out there that's kind of angry at you. He goes to Nineveh and says, you are going to be overthrown. You are going to be destroyed unless you come in faith to God. And of course we know that in the fullness of salvation, that faith is in Jesus Christ. That's why we worship Him. That's why we follow Him. The question is, is that you? Let us pray. Father, again, we thank You for the morning and the joy it is to come. To see the clarity of the text, to have it pierce our souls. Father, even for some who is who are Playing the game, Father, you are awakening their hearts to the truth of what justifies a man, and it's not us. You have sent Jesus Christ to justify us, to impute a righteousness that is not our righteousness. You have given us a faith that awakens a dead sinner, that brings them and ushers them into the family of God. I pray for those who do know you, Father, that they see the beauty and the majesty of, of what that truth has done to their life, that it has changed them, that it will continue to change them until we are made complete when we see you face to face. Father, may that same truth call the unrepentant, the one who thinks that their sin is more enjoyable in eternal life. We know that the wages of sin is death. We know that that's eternal damnation. We know that it's a separation from what is right and good for, for eternity. Oh, to not believe in the lies of the enemy, thinking that our sin is something that we can enjoy ourselves in, thinking that God will look the other way, Listen, the truth and the omniscience, the omnipresence of God, it, it pierces our souls and it knows exactly what we're thinking and what we're doing. Father, may you cause the one who's unrepentant to run to you and receive that grace and that mercy, that forgiveness, knowing that there's no sin in which Christ hasn't died for that He can change a life and set them anew. We pray these things knowing that such repentance and faith gives you glory. We live in such truth knowing that what we say and do 
points back to the Redeemer. And so we love you and ask that you would have your way with our souls. And may you continue to fashion us into your likeness according to your truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.